Welcome to the Hills. All of you that are watching online, all of you in person at our Keller, our West Fort Worth, and our North Richland Hills campus. I must begin by commending and thanking all of you at all three of our campuses that participated in our Renew Serve Day yesterday. Uh, Jamie and I had a chance to join the people at the North Hills campus uh, for their big send-off, and I was struck by how intergenerational the crowd was. I saw people age four up to age 84. I also saw it was by far the most ethnically diverse crowd we've ever had for a Renew Serve Day, and that thrilled my heart. We've been asking God for nations and for generations, and God is answering that prayer, and it's a beautiful thing. And part of our vision for nations and generations is to become a church of five campuses in the next five years. And we discerned last year that the next campus we want to begin will be in the Dallas area. So church, I've got some good news for you that you're going to celebrate. And that is we have hired our campus pastor for the Dallas campus. And his name is Ryan Young. You know, Ryan went last year to do mission work in Oklahoma. And after a year, he decided this is hopeless. And he came back to the promised land. And Ryan and Charity make a great team. They launched Celebrate Recovery here at our church and did an amazing job. And so we know they're going to be uh, powerful in starting a new thing in Dallas. So be praying for them, and we'll keep you updated as progress goes. Ryan will be joining us on staff sometime later this summer, and we couldn't be more excited. So... We're in a series called Let's Talk About Mental Health. I told you that God impressed upon me last fall the need for this series. I fought that urging, but I finally submitted to it, and I'm glad I did, because the response has been overwhelming. I knew the need was great, but I had no idea how great it was. And so I want to thank you for the way you've responded, and I want to thank you for covering me in prayer in this series. This has been a heavy series, and I feel the weight of it. And I've shared with you that I'm launching into a conversation where I haven't been particularly trained because I think we need to have the conversation, and you have covered me in prayer, and I'm really, really grateful for that. You know, one of the things I wrestled with as we started this series was, is it legitimate for a preacher to address a struggle he is not personally experienced. And then I read my Bible and I realized, well, preachers in the Bible do that all the time. For example, in Galatians 4, Paul talks about how distressed he is about the spiritual development of the church there. And he says, I feel like I'm going through the pains of childbirth. What does he know about childbirth? <laughs> but he talks about it. And really, life is a lot like childbirth in this way. It can bring great joy, but you can't go through it without experiencing great pain. And the reality is, life is a lot more difficult than we let on. In fact, there almost seems to be an unspoken conspiracy to ignore how hard life actually is, especially among some Christian circles. Because if you've been around churches very long, you will confront a popular Christian myth. That if a person's faith is good, they should never feel bad. Now, I believe the Bible strongly disagrees with that myth. That the Bible reveals the truth 
that you can be a person of great faith and still experience tremendous mental distress in your life. So that's why we're talking about mental health. And just to let you know where we're going, next week we're going to talk about burnout and stress. In two weeks, I want you to know that we're going to talk about suicide. And on the first Sunday in June, we're going to talk about anxiety. But today, I want us to talk about depression. 60% of you in the survey we took last January said in the last 12 months, you have dealt with a season of depression. And the very first thing you need to hear me say is that the Bible does not look down on people who've had a long season of feeling down. So let's talk about it. Because as I've already said, not talking is not working. In all the research I've done, it's reported consistently that depression is the second most common mental health challenge in our culture. In fact, currently about one in nine people in our country take an antidepressant. Now, let's be clear. Depression is more than feeling sad. Seasons of sadness are inevitable for everyone because life is hard. Depression comes from a Latin word, and it means to press down. So it's not talking about a season of feeling sad. It's talking about a chronic, unrelenting heaviness in your soul. You can feel sad and you can still go about and function in your daily activities. But when you are depressed, your capacity to function is disrupted. And it can manifest itself in too much sleep or too little sleep, in not being able to find joy in things that used to or ought to bring you joy, in low energy, in knowing what is good for you to do, but just lacking the will to get up and do it, in struggling to concentrate, in an ability to regulate your emotions. And you can be a person of very good faith and feel that way. Uh, one of my appreciated heroes is a man named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You can't go to seminary and not study him. He built the first mega church in England. I mean, literally tens of thousands of people heard or read his sermons every week in the 1800s. And Spurgeon dealt with depression his entire ministry. He wrote one time, I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. And his honesty challenges the myth that a person whose faith is good should never feel bad. But it is a very persistent myth. If you don't believe me, turn on Christian television. Have you ever seen a depressed person on Christian television? There is an overabundance of the spirit of giddiness, almost to the point that it feels plastic. But I promise you, you can see depressed people in the Bible. Read the book of Job. And as you hear his uh, conversation, he makes statement after statement. There are classic signs of depression. And by the way, 
It is almost impossible to go through a long season of constant chronic pain and not battle depression. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He endured a life of trauma personally and communally. He wrote a book called Lamentations. And then there's David. And I've already said, I think David dealt with depression most of his adult life. Look at Psalm 3, 6. I'm sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. In, in Psalm 13, how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? You see, to deal with depression does not mean you are carnal. It means you're normal. And that living in a fallen world can get really heavy sometimes. And so the first really big idea I want you to remember is this. Depression is not a sin. It's a sign. It's a sign, not a sin. It's indicative that a person is in a state of disequilibrium. And this needs to be addressed and not suppressed, not denied, not hidden, not ignored. You see this often in the Psalms that the writers just admit that they are depressed. Now, they don't use that word. The word depression is never found in the Bible, but the word downcast is many times. Describing a spirit that just feels heavy. Let me show you an example in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior. And my God. Now, this honest worshiper is not confessing sin. He's confessing pain. His spirit is heavy and he can't shake it. So, please hear me. Depression is a sign, not a sin. But, hear me. You can deal with depression in ways that are sinful. Typically, by choosing to self-medicate in some way that dulls the heaviness that you don't want to feel. Some of you have done that. Your medication of choice was alcohol. In fact, hardly a day can go by that you don't have to have something to drink. For some of you, it's pills. Some have used gambling as a way to medicate. And some have used shopping. Some will sit in front of a television set for hours and just binge on inane entertainment so they don't have to think. Or they'll get on their phones and they'll just go down rabbit trail after rabbit trail for hours. Some will just go to the pantry and find something else to eat. 
I'm sorry, am I sipping on too many toes right now? And so if you have a mental health challenge, you need to ask yourself, is the way I'm trying to cope with what I feel truly helping me? Blessing other people, honoring God. You see, what I love about Psalm 42 is that the worshiper admits, my spirit is downcast. But he was also quite intentional about how he was going to try to address and deal with his downcast spirit. Some counselors call this uh, exercising your agency. As image bearers of God, we have this free will, and we can choose how we want to respond to what we are experiencing. And so in a moment, I want to share with you what he chose. But first, I want to share with you a testimony of someone here in our church, Rachel Parrott on our communications team, who battles depression. And I think you'll be encouraged as she shares her testimony of how she chooses to face her challenge. So watch this, please. My name is Rachel, and I have anxiety and depression. There was a point in my depression where my depression was at its all-time lowest, and I was just doing everything I could to be better. When I went to see my therapist, I just sat there and I was like, I am so exhausted. I wanted so bad to have hope that things were gonna get better one day, but my brain just convinced me otherwise that it just was gonna be like that forever. The reality is, is there's so much beauty in allowing people to walk alongside you and to be there for you and to remind you of the promises that God is continuing to fulfill for you, even whenever you don't see them or believe them in that moment. And there is no benefit in staying in the dark. And that's where the enemy sees victory of you being in pain by yourself. There's so much beauty in sharing your story and what you're experiencing with people in your life because you get to see the fruits that the people in your life bear as they pour those things into you in moments when you need it most. The same God that's with me in my darkest moments is also the same God that's with me in my most joyful. And sometimes I feel like I'm not worthy of God's time or people's time when I'm in that depressed space. But ultimately, God desires me to be in his presence no matter what. Um, he asks for us to cast all of our anxieties on, on him because he cares for us. And he just ultimately wants to be near us despite how I'm feeling or what I'm going through. And my depression doesn't define who I am. It's a part of my story. It is not a truth that God speaks over me, but it is for sure something that helps reveal to me more of who God is. Because I feel the depth of the sadness and this numbness, and it's so overwhelming, the same depth of those emotions that I feel is so small in comparison of the depth of His love for me. Your mental health is a journey. Um, everyone has mental health, and it's not linear. It's something that is a continued process, and there's a lot of beauty in it. There's a lot of struggle in it. 
My feelings are very valid. My emotions are things that God wants me to bring to him. Even though my emotions are valid, that doesn't mean that they're always true. There's a psalm that I always go to in moments when I'm really overwhelmed, and it's Psalm 116. It says, be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. I have to remind myself of that truth, of God has shown me his goodness um, through people in my life that have walked alongside me, through the privilege of being able to have medication that I can take, um, psychiatrists, um, doctors that I see, therapists that I see. God has shown me his goodness and his faithfulness to me through these different vessels of these different things. I always think back to, we're called to love your neighbor as yourself. And how am I supposed to love my neighbor well if I'm not loving and taking care of myself well? And that includes our mental health. That's a part of our overall wellness and God cares about that deeply and you are totally worth taking care of. Yes. Join me in thanking Rachel, please, for her transparency and for her courage. And I use the word courage on purpose because the people I know who have the tenacity to face their mental health challenge are some of the bravest people I know. And what I want to do now is, is look at what the psalmist said about how he faced his downcast spirit. And I think you'll see some commonality between him and Rachel. The first thing he did is he revealed how he felt. And that's what I want you to do, to reveal how you feel. Do you notice how honest to God the psalmist is? He doesn't deny the heaviness he's feeling. He doesn't say, you know, when I get better, I will go and I will talk to God. He brings to God how he's feeling as an act of worship. Because there is never a season in your life when God does not want to hear from you. I'm going to say that again because somebody needed to hear that. There is never a season in your life where God does not want to hear from you. But please notice, he's not just confessing how he feels to God. He is confessing how he feels to his faith family. He wrote a song. He wrote a song to be sung at church. He wrote a song for his brothers and sisters to sing to know how he's doing. In other words, he wasn't going to church and playing the game of, oh, I'm doing fine. He was honest and said, well, actually, today I'm not doing so fine. Because the very first problem mentioned in the Bible is not sin. It is isolation. It is not good for us to do life alone. In fact, it's significant in the midst of intense mental sorrow. Jesus refused to isolate himself. In isolation, we counsel ourselves when, in fact, we might be the very last people in that moment we need to listen to. Remember what Rachel said? There's no benefit in staying in the dark. The enemy sees victory in you being in pain by yourself. There's so much beauty in allowing people to walk alongside you, to be there for you, to remind you of the promises God is continuing to fulfill for you. 
You see, one way that God lifts us up is by having people show up. Let me show you that. Paul, we've already seen, talked about how hard his life was. Mission work was physically and mentally exhausting. He was honest. Sometimes he says, I feel crushed. Sometimes I just feel overwhelmed. And notice how he responded to what the uh, churches did for him in this shape. 2 Corinthians 7, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, notice, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you'd given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your odd concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. You hear what he's saying? I was in a bad place, and God blessed me. You know how God blessed me? He sent people. God comforted my downcast spirit with the presence of people. And not just Titus, but Titus told me about all the other people that are concerned for me and are praying for me. In my research, I came across a study that was uh, published in 2015 in Europe. Uh, across 10 different nations, they studied senior citizens who dealt with depression over seven years. And the study was trying to conclude, does community help? So they encouraged these seniors to get into sports clubs or political groups or hobby clubs. And they found that it helped short term a little. But there was one group that had sustained profound impact on the mental health of the seniors. And that was communities of faith. That getting with people that share an eternal perspective that can speak into your life has a profound blessing on your mental health. But let's be honest. It's not easy to reveal how you feel. Maybe fear has kept you from doing that. Can we be real? Maybe pride has kept you from doing that. Because you want people to think you got it together all the time. And so I'm asking you not to deny your brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity and the privilege of extending self-sacrificing love to you. And I know it's risky, and I know some people will mess up. You reveal how you feel, and some people will mess up, and they will try to fix you. But many people are just going to show up and love you and listen to you and pray for you. And God will lift you up. And so you need to reveal how you feel, because here's the thing. You cannot bear what I'm not willing to share. The next thing we see this writer doing in his worship song that I counsel you to try is to search for the why. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? In fact, if you read the whole psalm, five times he asks why. It's very hard sometimes to put a finger on a depressive episode. But listen, you're made in the image of God. And here's what that means. You have a superpower. And your superpower is the 
capacity to ask why. Do you know other creatures can't do this? Uh, Therapists call this power metacognition. Your capacity to step back from what you're feeling and ask yourself, why am I feeling that way? You've got this thing in your brain called your amygdala. It's your emotional center. It's where fight or flight comes from. This is how creatures respond. They just fight or they flight. They don't stop and think, why do I feel like this? But you've got something called your medial prefrontal cortex. It's the only part of your brain that the amygdala listens to. It's that part of your brain that gets curious about why you're feeling this way. Why am I so angry right now? Why am I so afraid right now? Why am I so stressed? And what happens is when you engage that medial prefrontal cortex, they've got scans that show your amygdala calms down. We really are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so even though we face very real mental health challenges, because we are image bearers of God, we can step back and say, what is at the root of why I'm feeling this way? We can ask why and start to search. If you have been through a season of depression, the first thing I'd say is go see a doctor. Maybe why is rooted in your biology. I talked just last week to someone who went through a season of unexpected depression and it was discerned he was taking a medicine for something completely unrelated that was causing the depression. And a doctor helped him understand that. It could be the doctor is going to see that you've got a chemical imbalance and you need to take some medicine. Don't feel bad about that. You shouldn't feel any more shame for taking medicine because your serotonin level is low, then you should feel if you take medicine because your insulin level is low. Please go see a doctor and ask why. It could be that your depression is rooted in disconnection from God. Not most of the time, but some of the time. Like David, when he lived knowingly outside of the will of God, he experienced mental anguish and depression. Maybe you need to go to a spiritual guide and do a ruthless moral inventory. I'll tell you, 40 years as a pastor, there's one sin above all others I've noticed that can produce depression. Bitterness. And I'm not saying that what happened in your past was uh, okay, it was wrong, and it was painful. But I will tell you, when we harbor hate, we are lacing our minds and our hearts with poison. And there will be a consequence. And so maybe you need to do a very ruthless moral inventory and say, is my life in living God's way or not? And then quite possibly... Your depression is rooted in tragedy or trauma in your past. 
It appears that grief over loss was part of the reason for the psalmist being downcast. You remember what he said? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. See, he's lost something, and it's hard. Life is hard. And listen, nobody gets to go through life without experiencing extreme painful loss. We all do. You lost a parent or a mate to death. You lost a mate to divorce. You lost a relationship with one of your children. You lost your job. You lost a best friend. You're losing your health. You're starting to lose your memory. Nobody gets to go through life without having to deal with excruciating, painful loss. And this is why we have a community of faith, and this is why we have spiritual guides, and this is why we have counselors and therapists, so that we can process and talk and be honest, so that what's happened in the past that we grieve becomes a school that empowers us and not a jail that imprisons us. God gave you a superpower. Use it. Step back and ask, why? And it's always a good idea to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any truth that would help you understand better where and why you are where you are. And then one more thing we can learn from this very honest songwriter. Reveal how you feel, search for the why, and worship in the dark. The psalmist didn't wait until he was in a good place to worship God. He brought his pain and his praise to God while he was still in a dark place. You notice he said in verse 5, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. I love the word yet. It is one of the strongest, boldest, most inspiring words in the Bible. I'm not in a good place right now. My spirit feels crushed and burdened, yet I will praise God. Will we worship God when there doesn't seem to be any immediate benefit for our doing so? Will we worship God for who He is, not just for what He does? Will we worship God if or even if? God, I will worship you if this goes away. I will worship you if this changes. Or, God, I will worship you if this never goes away. Because you never change. The psalmist is saying, I will worship God consistently even if I don't understand completely. 
Listen again to the wisdom from Rachel. Sometimes I feel I'm not worthy of God's time in that depressed state. But ultimately, God desires me to be in his presence no matter what. He wants to be near us despite what I'm feeling. Hang on to God even when life is heavy. It brings glory to God, but it does something else. It makes life less heavy. I came across a book some years back called Forged in the Fire by a man named Bob Record. And he tells the journey of his faith after he was in an accident and he experienced a severe spinal cervical injury. Doctor said, your neck is a wreck. And what it meant was a long, long season of constant pain. And remember what I said. If you go through a long season of chronic pain, it's almost impossible not to deal with depression. He, he couldn't lie down. He had to sleep in a chair. Bags of ice were his constant companions. Any movement caused more pain. His family one day wheeled him out to the porch. And it was a cold, rainy, miserable day. And this little bird flew up to a railing right next to him and started chirping a happy little song. And Bob said, if I had a gun, I would have shot that bird. <laughs> Who could be happy on a day like today? Well, the next day they wheeled him out again. It was a warm, sunny, beautiful day. And that same bird, looked like the same bird, came up and started singing that same song. And Bob said, I really wanted to shoot that bird. But then he thought, you know what? That bird's song is not dependent on what's going on outside. That song is coming from inside. And then he heard the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, Bob, you get to choose. There's a song inside you made just for me. Are you going to let what's outside of you keep it from being sung? You get to choose. And so you lift up your praise because it will lift up your spirit. It's one reason why we put a playlist on our resource page for this series. Listen to me. If you have or if you are currently battling depression, God will never get down on you when you're down. But he wants you even when you're down especially when you're down, to look up. The psalmist says the Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. Life is hard, but God is good. And he specializes in heavy lifting. Let's ask him to do that right now. So God, I know a lot of people are listening to this lesson today and a lot more are going to listen to it in the days ahead. And a lot of those people feel just like the psalmist. Why is my soul so downcast? And so God, please, please let them experience today, this week, 
a powerful encounter with your love. To know that they are cherished. That you are passionate about wanting to be in communion with them. You're not disappointed in them. I pray, God, that you will help us as a people to be honest, real, authentic, and hopeful. Because we serve a God who's worthy of praise every day. We serve a God who is tender in mercy, who comforts the downcast, and who lifts heavy loads. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you empower every person whose spirit is down today to look up and find hope in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.